A rich tradition. College football podcast is now live. Hello and welcome to a rich tradition college football podcast. I'm Spencer Van Horn. He's Robbie Stoltenpole. Two friends, one love, and that is college football. Roberto, how are you, my friend? I'm doing all right, man. Um, this uh, weather and my allergies aren't doing so great. Um, uh, the past couple past couple days, but other than that, man, I'm doing really well. I'm. We are less than 35 days away from college football coming back, so I'm I'm ready for this. I'm ready to get going. So, what we got on the docket today, buddy? Pac-12 previews for uh, tonight as we are getting uh, that much closer to the um, regular season. Uh, we're on July 31st, so we've got uh, the regular season is all of, you know, a little less than a month away. I guess we're starting some college football August 26th or something like that, so we're a little mm-hmm. less than a month away. And uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into some of these uh, conference previews team by team. We'll look at the uh, over and unders out of Vegas. I used an article from uh, CBS Sports, and then we're just going to take talk a little bit about uh, how the team might reach that eight and a half, uh, and then maybe one or two things as to what might slip them up uh, trying to go for uh, that win total, uh, whether it's eight and a half or nine and a half or whatever the number is for whatever particular team. So we'll um, we'll discuss a few things for each team and. Uh, have some fun doing it, getting ready for a pretty fun conference out um, out west and one that might not be with us for very much longer. Yeah. Um, before we jump in, I just want to say just one thing about some recruiting news. Folks, it doesn't matter what you think of the school. It doesn't matter what you think of the coach. It, it, it is moot. It does not matter what you think. Auburn is for real. When it comes to recruiting now, and they will be as long as they have the money they do, which they will for a very long time. And as long as they have Hugh Freeze, who's an incredible recruiter at that school. I am not saying they're going to win a national championship in the next three years. But what I'm saying is y'all need to get ready for these kids who are going to start flipping from Georgia, from Bama, from possibly Ohio State or FSU and going to Auburn. Because Hugh Freeze knows what he's doing. And now that paying players to come to your school is is legal, back when he was doing it in whatever year it was, 2015, I guess, 2016, I'm, I, ju- I just want to give a PSA, give a warning to all college football fans. It's coming. It's going to happen. And don't be surprised if you don't see another, another player or two from Georgia flip to go to Auburn. All right, Robbo, where would you like to start in – uh, the conference of champions uh, out there in uh, out out west. I would like to actually start with the team who's picked to win the conference and has the highest, the you know the highest win total. And I'm talking about the USC Trojans, who are currently set at over under of of ten wins. Uh, and just like I mentioned in the last episode, I just want to be clear: we are only using the over under uh, for just a a baseline of what specialists or you know or um or experts how they view um usc and we're just using that kind of as a launch pad into a conversation 
Spencer, for, for me, for them to hit 10 wins, like it, it's going to be kind of easy on how you view, like you as the, the professional or the expert or, you know, me, how I view Oregon, Notre Dame, and Washington. That really is the, the determining factor of, of whether I believe I, whether I believe they can they can win 10 wins or not. Because I think I think their schedule is for the most part fairly easy, except for those three games, and you know, and UCLA. How you view those four games can determine whether you think they're going to hit, whether they're going to hit ten wins or not. Their their road games are at Notre Dame and at Oregon. I think those games are can be lost. I just don't know who Notre Dame is going to be right now. You know, with the coordinator switch and with Sam Hartman coming in, you, you just kind of don't know. But Spencer, here's here's what I'm going to say. I, do you remember? I, I thought of this analogy, and I'm not doing this with every team, but I'm going to do it with USC. Do you remember the horrible, horrible film, The Green Lantern? With Ryan Reynolds. Correct. And Blake Lively. Correct. And the cutest couple in Hollywood was born, right? Sure. Yes. Isn't this where they got married or whatever? Yeah. That's about the only good thing that came out of that movie. Yep. Do, do you, you? But you remember the movie? Okay. All right. I remember the so. So here, here's the comp that I came up with. Okay. USC could easily become what Green Lantern was. because, And what I mean by that is this. On paper, Green Lantern should have been an amazing movie. The cast is incredible. You've got Blake Lively. You've got Ron Reynolds. You've got Mark Strong. You've got Michael C. Clark. Um, Duncan, you've got um, – oh, and, of course, I'm going to forget his name now. Um, Watiti. I always mess up his name. Um the director of the Thor movies, uh, the latest Thor yeah, I movies. Yeah, don't. Yeah, uh, yeah. Watiti is the only thing I know. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you, you've got him in it, and and also you've got just like you've got a great cast all over the place. You've got all this money being put into it to to make sure that it does well. You've got plenty of budget money, and then you have Jeff Johns, who most of you probably won't know. Jeff Johns is an incredible comic book writer who revitalized the character of Hal Jordan in comics. He is the you know, he is Hal Jordan rebirth writer, and, and it changed the game for, for, for Hal Jordan in the comics. This should have been a, an amazing movie. However, the movie was not good at all, as we already talked about, because of, because of important details that were missed in the movie. First of all, the writing was very bad, and they cut corners with CGI. USC has everything on paper to be an incredible, like, playoff contending team. They have an incredible coach and play caller. They have the reigning Heisman quarterback, and they have a litany of talent at wide receiver. And they're returning a bunch of players, which is going to be a positive that most people would point out. However, the important details that could be missed is the the, the running back conversation, the offensive line being being able to mesh as be able to mesh again like they do that they like they were in spurts last year and also how you remember their horrible defense along with how you view their schedule i think that there's a really good possibility that usc could end up being the, the green lantern of movies where on paper it honestly could end up being like on paper it should be really great however if the defense hasn't been fixed if the o line has issues and their schedule, some of these teams in the Pac-12 who have really good quarterbacks, if they kind of put things together, USC could easily go eight and four 
and that to and that to most people would be a failure because of what people expect walking into the season. Yes, I see where you're coming from. I like to think Utah and, and Washington have some chances to be more complete teams, more well-rounded teams than USC. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if I think Oregon and UCLA and, and even uh, Oregon State are going to be really tough as well. I don't know if those teams are on the same level as Washington and, and Utah. I kind of think of them as the, the cream of the crop. Yeah, for USC. And I also have it written down, you know, Rob, sometimes we have – you know, a, a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback comes back the next year and the encore isn't quite the cream of the crop. It's not the most overwhelming thing. It's not another level of incredible. Tua felt like he ran into that. Jameis Winston ran into that. Through 18, t- 18 interceptions in his second year and only 25 touchdown passes. Uh, obviously not a great ratio. And, and, Johnny Menzel maybe ran into it. And, you know, that could be another thing that catches up with this team. I mentioned uh, in terms of getting there, I agree with your offensive line comment. With Williams being very uh, athletic last year, they still did not uh, protect him super well uh, last year. So if Williams doesn't avoid sort of some second-year struggles, breaks away from that trend for some guys, then, yeah, this could be a long year for them. And uh, the transfer hall on defense has uh, has got to come through. It worked offensively last year. Will it work defensively this year? USC pulled seven defenders off of Power 5 rosters, including four starters, three former top 100 prospects, and even an all-Big 12 linebacker. Is all of that going to be enough to maybe even bring this group to an average defense. And if that's the case on that end of things and Williams is able to, you know, keep up the offense keeps up, then, then yeah, USC will be right there in the thick of things. I think. Yeah. Cause also like they're losing 20 sacks. They lost 20 sacks from this season too, from, from this past season too. I, you know, I'm not a scout obviously, but I will say like, I, no one has been bragging, uh, but like people who I respect, no one is bragging about the talent that USC brought in. You know, like as, as far as on defense, and yeah. and 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 so like it, when I hear, I'll just throw it out there. Like when I hear Bud Elliott talk about like, I mean, why why should I think these guys are gonna be much better? You know, uh, that that just kind of stands out to me. So, I'm. I'm not the biggest like I there is a world in which USC has an incredible year and they're in the playoff. I'm not saying they're not, but I think that those are the things that will keep them from getting there. Now, the other side of the coin, which is what we kind of wanted to do was what will help them get there. I mean, for me it's easy. You know what'll help them get there? Caleb freaking Williams. <laughs> and and I really don't think there's anybody else that could do that on that team. But Caleb Williams. But if you remember, Caleb Williams got a little. What, what game was it where he got a little dinged up? Was it the Utah game? Um, yeah, that pack the Pac-12 championship game. Pac-12 he was game. very dinged up. Like I just, I they can't allow him to get beat up like that again this year in in those big games. <clears throat> but yeah, that's that's what I have. I'm sorry that was so long winded. I know this was supposed to be shorter, but I just, I because I don't have detailed analysis for every team like I do USC, but. Or like I don't have a massive comparison 
like I did with USC. But I just, I just I thought that was a good comparison. Um, October 14th through November 18th, I think, will be a really important piece of the schedule at Notre Dame, Utah, at California, who should have a tough defense is, uh, again, as they usually do under Wilcox, uh, Washington at home and then at Oregon and then UCLA at home. So, again, Notre Dame or at Notre Dame, Utah, at California, Washington, at Oregon, UCLA. That's a tough stretch. Yeah. That's a, that, that could yeah. pose some, some real problems if offensive line's not fixed, if the defense doesn't come around the way they're expecting it to. So even, even if Williams is being Superman again, it might not be enough. And, and also, Spencer, like, I don't know. Like, I kind of think Arizona State and UCLA are sneaky possible upsets for them too. You know, like Arizona State and who? Uh, I'm sorry, Arizona State and UCLA. Mm, yeah. But anyway. That's that's what I have. Do, do you have anything to add there, or we, you want to go to your your next team? Um. Well, I've got two teams with a nine and a half win total. Uh, so let's go to let's go to Oregon. I think the first thing I have written down is remaking the offensive line. If they're going to get to nine and a half wins, they're going to have to remake that offensive line that was named a semifinalist for the Joe Moore Award last season. Rob, if we know anything across college football at whatever or across football in general at whatever level, you better be able to protect your quarterback. And if your quarterback is named Bo Nix, you better emphasize protection. You don't want that guy having to do a bunch of running around. You certainly don't want to get him hurt either. Uh, You don't want any quarterback hurt, but you really do need to be able to protect your quarterback. Uh, Obviously, that run game that they want to go with as well, it will be will be really key. But there were some differences last year for Oregon when Bo Nix was hurt versus when he wasn't hurt. And if you can protect or you can uh, get that offensive line remade and get him protected this upcoming season, it'll go a long way to keeping him in the driver's seat and uh, keeping your offense on track like it was last year. The overall performance of the offense was night and day before and after the leg injury to Nix. First 10 games, 7th out of 69 in Power 5. Final three games with an injured Bo Nix, 38th out of 69 Power 5 offenses. So, I mean, uh, per play percentiles is uh, opponent-adjusted per play percentiles. So you're you're looking at sort of a per play average there that really dips for Oregon after he's injured. So keep that offensive line going. Protect Bo Nix. Don't let him get beat up this upcoming season either. Just, I mean, just really quick, I think I think what wins them, what gets them to to not you said nine and a half, nine and a half wins, or yeah, um, yeah, one I, of the things that's going to get them there. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that's going to get them there is going to be their defense and, and Bo Nix. Like the, the the those two things, I think are the key for me. The the thing that man, I I want to pick Oregon to win it and go to the playoff. Like I really do, because I think they have talent. I think that they have a really, I think they have a really good team. I really like Bo Nix, man. Like the, you know, I was, I did this exercise of the the analogy with, um, you know, with USC, and I was, I was like filling with like, Bo Nix is a lot like Matthew McConaughey to me. Like Matthew McConaughey, early career, all he could do was one thing, and that was be the hot country guy on romantic comedies. And boy, did he have a lot of them. Just 
you know, he had that, you know, had movie frailty that came out early on in his career, but he had just all this slew of these movies. And then all of a sudden, Dallas Buyers Club and the first season of True Detective and then Interstellar. And you're just like, oh my gosh, this guy's so great. And like Bo Nix has kind of got that where he's just fun to watch at times at Auburn. And then last year he comes out and he just crushes it. He does so good. He should have been a Heisman finalist. Um, but but here's my here's my thing. And Spencer, I, you didn't make mention this, but I, I wonder if I know you feel this way too. My biggest concern for the Oregon team this year is not player based. It is solely on the fact that they are losing Kenny Dillingham. And can they replicate what he was able to do with Bo Nix? That's th- that is what I think about. That that is what holds me back from picking Oregon to 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 go the playoff and definitely win the Pac-12. Like I just I just struggle to to believe that they're going to be able to do that with with Kenny Dillingham gone. Yeah, Will Stein is the new offensive coordinator, and he has put together some productive years for uh, the University of Texas at San Antonio, um, the Road Runners. And they've been pretty popular here over the, yeah, they've been pretty popular here for the last couple of years. So Will Stein might be um, a a good replacement for Kenny Dillingham. We'll certainly wait to see, but uh, no, having to replace the offensive coordinator is a tricky business, especially when we have so much history of Bo Nix struggling. It's kind of like, Ooh, we found the right spot for him. We found the right spot. And then we switch some of that spot and it's kind of, Yes, it would make you nervous a little bit. Okay. Next team that I got here. Did you have anything else to add? I didn't want to go move on if you well, want to I was No, I was just going to mention Justine Jacobs is a uh, middle linebacker from Iowa. Of course, Iowa always puts together really good linebackers. Uh, he's transferring in. He's going to hold down that middle linebacker spot. Last year, Noah Sewell didn't seem to do as well in the landing defense. Maybe Jacobs... Uh, fits into the role a little bit better. He could prove be- uh, he could prove very important for uh, Lanning's defense to take another step. And then road trips to Washington and Utah in two out of three weeks in October. That could be another really uh, important stretch there for Oregon. How well they do with uh, what could be the two two of the top teams uh, in the conference there in Utah and Washington. Yeah. Well, it's it's good that you mentioned Utah because you. Um, Utah is the next team that I have that I have to go through. Um, and they are picked to have eight and a half wins this year. They are um, they're returning Cam Rising. It it's questionable <clears throat> of whether or not he's gonna be able to be there for week one. I'm I'm going to I'm gonna say he is just for argument's sake here, because we don't really know. Um, I'm really hoping <laughs> that he that he plays because I, I just think Cam Rising has such an incredible story. You know, he transfers from Texas to Utah, and you know he's been there I think since the 2020 season. And man, like I view him as a Utah Ute, and I think he is awesome. I think he is a great. I think he's a great quarterback, um, a very good college quarterback. I'll be clear on that. Very good college quarterback, um, and I think he's just an incredible leader for this team. He's very smart as well. Um, Spencer, for me, I think the thing that is going is going to get them over eight and a half wins, and once again proving the country wrong. Because I mean, I kind of think eight and a half wins is a little bit lowballing the Utah Utes here. Um, yes, I agree. I, 
Yeah, I, I think I think the what they're what they are returning on offense is what is, is what is going to get them over get them over the edge. Um, I think they are returning. I think they are returning enough to where people should probably respect this team more than they are. Um, they are they're returning uh, for. Uh, I mean. I, I'm not going to list like their receivers and their yardage because they they're not going to have a thousand yard receiver. That's just not who they are. But they 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 do they did lose Kincaid, which is a big deal. But they're still returning their receivers that were so productive for them last year. They're going to have a massive offensive line. They're going to have a running back that can just that can just get between the tackles and can bruise you up. They're going to play physical football. Their defense is going to. They're returning nine players on defense. The, all these things of what they're returning is what I think gets them over the eight and a half win mark. But the concern I have, and I, I want to hear your feedback on this so we can uh, continue on their schedule is freaking tough. Yeah. Their schedule is, is tough. They start off. That might the season, be where the eight and a half comes from. Yeah. They're they're They start, they start with Florida coming to Utah. Man, I, I hope like, I don't care if you call it fandom. I don't care what it is. I, I may just be such a huge fan of Kyle Whittingham. I want Kyle Whittingham in Florida to just beat the brakes off Florida week one. I just just in their hometown, like in their stadium, the first it's like the first true power five, power five game of the year. It's on that Thursday night, August 31st. I just want them to beat the crap out of them. Um, but then the next week they go to Baylor. And then two weeks later, they've got UCLA, and then they're at Oregon State, who a lot of us will talk about more about them in a minute. I expect big things from them. They play at USC, they play at Washington, they play at Arizona. Uh, that like that that's where I'm at. I'm on a middling middling tier of yes, I think that the talent they return is quality enough to 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 get over eight and a half wins. But then when you look at their schedule, you're like, man, that's going to be what holds them up. It's not going to be it's not going to be someone who doesn't who doesn't produce or who doesn't develop. It's going to be, oh crap, you've got to play a freaking gauntlet through the months of October and November. Yeah, I was thinking about. I have it written down: survive September with that Florida at Baylor, Weber State, UCLA, and at Oregon State. I uh, certainly had that written down, and the rest of the schedule doesn't get much easier uh, from there either. Uh, you mentioned the nine returning players on defense. Uh, a lot of those guys are young guys that really played well over the uh, second half of the season. I believe the uh, first seven games of the year, they were 45th out of 69 in some major defensive categories. And then the final seven games, 25th out of 69 for uh, some some big power five uh, defensive numbers. So um, I think if that young defense can pick up where they left off, that'll go in a long way. And then, of course, like you mentioned, Cam Rising has to be at the center of this Utah team getting back into um, playoff contention, Pac-12 contention, the injury uh, to him, him coming along. But then also the tight end that got hurt last year, and I'm going to mess up his last name, but um, uh, Brant Kuth, K-U-I-T-H-E, Kuth. Sure. Um, I'm expecting, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, he's a do-it-all kind of tight end, but he was knocked out uh, there in September. And if he can step back in along with Thomas Yasmin, who's a former uh, rugby player, he had a big highlight in the uh, USC Pac-12 championship game. If those two guys can be the right kind of one-two punch 
Andy Ludwig has done a great job as the offensive coordinator. Uh, who was it that tried to hire Andy Ludwig in the offseason? Notre and Dame. It was sort of a – yeah, Notre Dame. Thank you. So Andy Ludwig is a guy that a lot of people really respect, and I like Pac- I like Utah's offense. I like their defense. Uh, I've got them as one of the most complete teams in the Pac-12 right now. Man, I love it. I love it. I, th- I think I think that's great. Um, let's let's go ahead and go to our boys that we haven't talked about yet. But I know both in, both you and I are high on them this year. Let's go to the Washington Huskies. Um, on it, huh? Well, I was just going to say nine and a half wins is what I've got for them. Yep. Yeah, it, it's your turn. I just I just was leading leading you in. I uh, understood. So yeah, Washington's uh, sorry <laughs> over and under nine and a half. You're fine. Uh, uh, Michael Penix, um, Yabora, the head coach, and then Grub. Uh, I've got them sort of staying on track, but at the same time keeping things sort of fresh. The interesting stat for Washington last year was that they were a team who really had no problem taking what you gave them um washington had 25 scoring drives where the drive lasted 10 or more plays dink and dunk take what the defense has given you find the underneath stuff find the middle of the field stuff whatever it was we're gonna just take whatever the defense has given you and they were able to turn those into uh into scoring plays they had an 18 play 92 yard drive that drained the final minutes off the clock, setting up a game winner to beat Oregon State. They had other scoring plays of 16, 14, and 13, scoring drives of 16, 14, and 13. Part of me is thinking you don't want to have to rely on working that much for points. There's more opportunities to have mistakes. I would imagine to some degree you'd love to cut that number down only in the sense of being a little more explosive or being a little bit more um a little bit more efficient whatever you want to call it i would imagine they'd love to maybe just bring that number down to 20 you still want to be good at taking what the defense gives you and being patient and not forcing things i don't want to take that out or i'm not asking for them to take that out but you certainly would love to freshen things up a little bit to where maybe you can create some more explosive plays and end scoring drives a little sooner rather than maybe putting yourself in a position where you make a mistake and have to punt the ball away because you um you know because you just you, you held on to the ball too long offensively is that making sense at all no no it absolutely does you, you can't you can't be boom or bust like is that essentially what you're trying to say no well, i uh, what do you mean by boom or bust? Like you can't be just, hey, we're going to hit big plays to score touchdowns, or we're not. Like that—that's that's more or less what I mean. Is that the point you're trying to get across? Because maybe I misunderstood you. Yeah, to a degree, yes. Okay. What because, I'm thinking is, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I, I don't, I don't have the metrics in front of me, which I, I probably should. But like when I think about the Washington team last year, like that's what I think about is, man, they scored a lot of big plays downfield because of Penix's ability to be mobile and throw the ball accurately downfield. But I also caught them in in games last year, like just looking at their twenty, just looking at their results last year, like losing to UCLA and Arizona State. 
I mean, those games felt like like just you or Utah or UCLA was just able to stop them at times, like just to stymie them completely. And you can't allow that to happen. You have to be balanced, and you have to be a team who can grind. Like Utah does that incredibly well. They grind you on drives. And I just felt like Washington couldn't couldn't do that all the time. It, do you agree with that, or, or, no, or am I wrong there? Yeah, I don't have those games specifically uh, in front of me, but I was just more talking about keeping things fresh offensively for this upcoming season. Last year, they took a lot of what the defense was giving them, um, and obviously that's ne- that's not a bad thing. But trying to find a way offensively to keep defenses off balance and maybe generating more plays down the field that are ending drives sooner so that you're not having to take 10-plus plays to score touchdowns. Yeah. It was, it was, it's a point of pride, I think, for Washington last year to have 25 scoring drives of 10 plays or more. But I'm also thinking about, boy, there's a lot of opportunities in there not to have scored. And if you get into a, an issue or you get into a habit of just methodically going down the field, maybe you end up in a spot where you're going to make more mistakes um, or the defense is sort of allowing you to put yourself in a position to make more mistakes. So I'm, I'm thinking keep, keep doing what you're doing, but find a way to add a new wrinkle, I guess is what I'm getting at. Okay. No, no, no. That makes sense, man. I, I just, I, I misunderstood fully what you're saying, but now, now I understand. So, okay. Understood. Um, for me, I, I think, I mean, that they're returning seven on offense, seven or a on defense. I think for me, the way that they they go, they hit over their mark and they 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 go the Pac-12 championship and they do some like I I, I want to say this. I am probably cheering harder for Washington and Oregon. More Washington. I'm cheering hard. So I'm cheering hard for Oregon or Washington to win the Pac-12 this year. Like, I don't necessarily know if that's my pick to, to win it, but I am cheering hardcore for them to win. I really just love what Washington is doing as a program, and I love Michael Penix's story. And I, I'll never forget the twenty the 20, no, 2020 season of what he was doing in Indiana and, and for him to come out and do – like, I, I just love this team. I really do. Um, it, for them to hit nine and a half wins, it's all on Michael Penix. I hate to say that. We don't know who their backup is, or we don't at least don't know if the backup is going to be high quality. So it's on Michael Penix, and and he's hyped this year as a Heisman candidate, which I think is 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 honestly accurate. But for me, Spencer, um, for me, what 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 could keep them from nine and a half wins? And I'm sorry that I keep going back to that. I've gone to the. I've already said this one other time for another team. It's their schedule. Like notice that for a lot of teams. Yeah, it like seems this, like a lot of teams in this conference have some tough, tough stretches in the schedule. Yeah, man, like I agreed. Yes, like they they play Oregon. Now they play Oregon after both have a bye week, but then they turn right around and play Arizona State, who's coming off their bye week. Uh, I'm not worried about Stanford, but then they go to USC. They play Utah. Then they play at Oregon State, and they finish the year at or they play they finish the year against Wazoo. That stretch from October 14th to November 18th, your really only like restful game is Stanford. 
the rest of those games are incredible. It's a gauntlet. The Pac-12 might be the most competitive conference this year. I know you and I already feel that way, and we're going to probably say it multiple times during this. But but Washington has just such a tough stretch of games from October 14th to that November 18th stretch. Yeah, I agree. I think you have to have some things figured out by then. One of their big issues last year was uh, was a big injury bug that crashed the defensive backfield. Mm. Um, and if they can stay healthier in the defensive backfield, that'll go a long way. I think this is a complete team that has a lot of strengths in a lot of other areas on their defense. So if they can stay healthy in the backfield, and obviously every team needs to stay healthy. Nobody wants to run into injury mm-hmm. bugs. But, of course, this was something that bit them specifically last year. And if they can stay um, they can stay healthy on that side of the ball, then uh, things will go really well for Washington defensively. And with them having so much firepower offensively, if their defense plays well um, and improves on the 29.5 points a game that they allowed versus Power 5 teams last year, if they can improve upon that number by you know maybe a touchdown, that might be enough to run away with the conference if USC struggles and if Utah maybe isn't as strong offensively as they like to be. No, I, I completely agree. I I also think them returning eight players on defense is like sneaky a is a sneaky stat that may come back to benefit them greatly this year. Would you agree with that? Uh, yes, as long as those guys stay healthy, yes. Yeah, that's fair. Yep, 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 absolutely. Um, all right, Spencer, um, I've kind of been picking where we go. Do you? Have, I mean, I know it's my turn, but what team you want to hear about next? I've got UCLA written on the front half. I think I say we stay in the top half of the conference. Okay. Uh, I, UCLA, eight and a half wins. All right, UCLA, eight and a half wins. I... I, I, I kind of like walking into this this prep. I, I felt good about UCLA. You know, I felt like they were going to have a good year competitive in some ways. But, man, I don't know about you, but after I started looking at them more, I started feeling more and more, like, comfortable about them. Like, I kind of <laughs> I kind of like them to be a dark horse to win the conference. And 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 here here's where I'm at. The way they the way they go over eight and a half wins the way that they compete for the big the Pac-12 title, the way they stick it to the conference before they leave to go to the Big, the big Ten next year, I think for me lies solely on one position, and that's quarterback Dante Moore. Dante Moore, if for those that don't know, was, um, was heavily committed to Oregon and flipped and went to UCLA. And... UCLA needed him way more than Oregon did, especially going into this year, because UCLA loses DTR, Dorian Thompson Robinson, who who was just just a, a dude for them, um, who just really put in the work for them and and took beatings. But I don't like they're returning nine from their defense, um, just like Washington. They're going to have some really good pass rush um, co- coming into this year. They're going to be able to cause some havoc. They've got seven guys returning on offense, which which is really good. But for me, Spencer, it all comes down to the quarterback. Are they going to be able to get a, a higher tier, a higher accuracy tier at quarterback with Dante Moore? Because as much as I love DTR and he was a big play guy, 
I do think he struggled to make those touch passes and those easy passes that his team desperately needed on third and long. He killed drives for them constantly. And I really just kind of hope that he's able to do that. I, I really, I really think UCLA could have a really good season. Um, the thing that's going to keep them from it on the other side of the coin is for me, it's kind of twofold. One, it is the, it's obviously the quarterback play. And two, it's can their defensive backfield be stronger on the back end and not give up so many big plays to these teams that are going to throw like crazy. Um, now they get kind of lucky. They miss they miss Oregon and they miss Washington, but they do go to Utah, to Oregon State and USC, and to, and at least USC is going to throw and throw and throw. And so, can their DBs hold up and get get stops for them? Though, though that to me is kind of how that breaks down for UCLA. What you got, or what do you think? Yeah, no, I'm in the same spot. Who's playing quarterback? Is it Moore or is it the Kent State transfer, Colin Shalee, who with Kent State, we're going to talk a little bit more about them when we get to Colorado, but they ran an up-tempo, high-paced, fast-paced, I'm sorry, uh, system there in the MAC, and Colin Shalee was all over that. He's got a dual-threat skill set, had a top rating of QB rating in the MAC, and also uh, 500 yards rushing. So he could be a guy that simply with the experience of being on the field, running the system that might be similar, Colin Shalee could end up being the guy um, that takes over that job, uh, unless they've already named Dante Moore. But either way, uh, the quarterback position is going to be very, very important. I've also got better at forcing mistakes on defense. Like you said, Rob, the strength is going to be up front. So can those guys in the backfield take advantage of any sort of errant passes that are thrown, rushed passes that are thrown? They've got an all-Pac-12 defensive end. Latou is what I'm going to go with, L-A-T-U, who uh, posted 10 and a half sacks last year. There's uh, some Murphy brothers, Gabriel and Grayson, that return, and uh, they've got some guys that are uh, pushing for all-conference at tackle Gary Smith. So. You know, is this going to be, can those guys up front create the kind of havoc to maybe give the opportunity to the guys in the backfield to make plays on, you know, throws that they would benefit from, I guess? No, I completely agree with everything you said. Uh, I do want to ask you a random question that you did not know that I was going to ask you, but does, does UCLA also maybe have the best home jersey of anybody? Because I love their freaking blue and gold. It's so it's so pretty. Yeah, it's hard to beat powder blue. Um, it is right. And then and then you put it with some yellow. Uh, the Chargers do a really good job with that. Um, it's so good. And the only reason why I don't say yep. Oregon is because they change they they change uniforms like Leo DiCaprio changes girlfriends. So like I mean they just change it often. So you really don't have the a- other. Uh, the other thing that mentioned here, we've we've talked a lot about schedules for each team. No back-to-back home games for UCLA this year. Coastal Carolina at San Diego State. North Carolina Central, an FCS team at Utah. By week, Washington State. At Oregon, at Stanford, Colorado. At Arizona, Arizona State. At USC, California. No back-to-back home games. Four of the final seven are on the road, and at Utah, 
Oregon State and at USC. So, um, yeah, we talked. We've we've highlighted some difficult schedules. It feels like that's got its uh, got its struggles there as well for a team that has a new a brand new quarterback. You mentioned them being a a team that maybe could steal the conference. I feel like it. That schedule part of it is gonna is gonna make that a a, a tough a tough order there for a team with a new quarterback. No, that's that's fair. I I do I'm I think I'm just also glad for him in regards to the fact that he has he has essentially a month before he has a true tough on the road test with at Utah. So he has like he has th- at least three weeks to get get you know get acclimated quick. Um, but you're right. You're right. The, the schedules across the board so far in uh, for the Pac-12 has just been tough. All right, Spencer, who's next, man? I think we're. I think I know, but you 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 take us. All right, hang on. Let me flip my. I did write some things down. Is that okay this week? I wrote some things down again <laughs> on some paper. Dude, I went back and listened to that. I've never laughed harder <laughs> on our podcast than than that. Yeah, I, I don't know if I've ever seen you laugh as hard as you did. At my having notes, I don't know if you just log everything in that gigantic cranium of yours, but the rest of us normal-headed people have to write things down on paper. All right, there's no, there's no reason to get personal here. I don't understand. I don't, I don't well, know why you're doing that. I just, I have to say what I have to say. You feel like you, you've called me out here. <laughs> All right, uh, Oregon State is the next. Uh, I guess the, the top. If we're talking about the top half of the conference, Oregon State, I think falls into the top half of the conference. I don't know if they're winning it. I don't know if I've even pushing them that close, but 10 wins last year, Oregon State, eight and a half is the over and under for them this year. Um, They're sort of asking a lot of a transfer quarterback, kind of like Oregon did last year. Can DJU pull some sort of Bo Nix rise to a level that maybe he was touted with when he came out of high school? Can he do that leaving the East Coast and coming to the West Coast a little bit closer to home? For uh, for DJU, but kind of a very similar Bo Nix kind of story. Struggling on the East Coast in sort of the the thick of college football by some people's uh, by some people's metrics, and then uh, coming out west and uh, taking over a program that really needs you to live up to your high school hype. Mm-hmm. I DJU to me here. He, I, I love the analogy. I think it's great. Here's where it breaks for me. We saw three years of Bo Nix of him playing poorly. Um, we all, with two different coaches, mind you, or two different offense coordinators. We saw DJU. We saw we saw moments of him be incredible, and then I think we saw his offense as a coordinator, his head coach, and his wide receivers fail him. I. I really want him to succeed, and I really think he's going to. Like, do you feel that way? Do you do you feel that DJU is going to do well at at Oregon State? I don't see any reason why he can't. Okay, uh, um, I think his version of success might look different than Bo Nix's, just because Bo Nix is going to be asked to throw it around, and he's going to be allowed to yep. to go for forty touchdowns. And I don't know if DJU is going to be allowed to go for for thirty touchdowns. Um, I'm sure Oregon State would love for that to be the case, you know, 30-plus touchdowns and, you know, cut down on the interception numbers, which I don't think he had huge interception numbers at Clemson. I could be wrong about that. 
But either way, um, I don't know what his success at Oregon State won't look the same as Bo Nix's at Oregon. Agreed. Agreed. He is a yeah. He is a completely different type team around him. Um, yeah, you're you're right. Um, for me, Spencer, how they get how they hit this total. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. How they how he hits how they hit this total of over eight and a half. It really does lean on. Can your offense still be this anaconda <laughs> that it was last year, where it just wears you down? I will never forget the Oregon game last year where, where it was like, it felt like 22 straight plays of just inside zone and just, just going and running straight at them over and over and over again. Um, can their offense be more, you know, especially with D- DJU that, that I think that is what will help them. That was what will carry them to over eight and a half wins. Spencer on the flip side, I think what will hurt them is how much they lost on defense. I know that I know their defense is projected to be all seniors and juniors, but I just think, man, looking back, you're losing you're losing six six or seven of your top tacklers of this past season. I, I, I just I think that's a lot to replace from a from a, a program that we don't normally see them replace that quickly. So that that's kind of where I was at with them. I'm still here. Sorry. Um, uh, I can I can certainly uh, understand that. I think this is a a coaching staff that has that's pretty used to having to develop their guys, sort of bring guys around. Um, But yes, you're going to lose guys to the transfer portal. They lost one of those leading tacklers to uh, to LSU. So, yeah, you're going to have to replace some people. But Rob, I mean, they played so well defensively last year that they maybe could afford to take a, a step or two back. Not too many. But if DJU does come through on his end, maybe he makes up a little bit for a slip back to, you know, maybe 24 points a game or something like that. Yeah. Uh, gave up only 20 points a game last year. So I think if you can get some kind of encore from your pass defense, maybe that goes a long way and DJU steps up, then you can go after that eight and a half, I think. Uh, you also get three of your four toughest games at home. Mm-hmm. Finally, a, a schedule conversation mm-hmm. that sort of seems to favor the the team uh, that we're discussing instead of being such a uh, such a hindrance. Uh, four of your toughest games at home: uh, Utah, Washington, UCLA, and who was the other one? I had a uh, U- Utah, UCLA, Washington. Oh, yeah, three of your four. So, yeah, those are the three. I'm sorry. I read my stat wrong. So, yeah, three of your four toughest games are at home. At Oregon is the one big tough one on the road uh, there for, uh, for Oregon State. Yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. All right, Spencer, where are we going next? I got Arizona next because there are one, two, three, four teams <laughs> with five as they're over and under uh, for win totals, so it could come down to that top half that we just got done talking about, sort of eating one another a little bit. It could come down to that um, if this plays out the way it has the potential to. Uh, but then there's Arizona and a few others that have five as their over and under. So let's start with uh, with Arizona. 
who is going into another year under uh, head coach Jed Fish, who has been absolutely phenomenal. Their average attendance jumped by 10,000 uh, per game over one year. So per, per, really nice. Per game? Uh, so their average attendance jumped by 10,000 per game wow. year over year. So, yeah. That's okay. That's incredible. From, from 21 to 22. So, yeah, they've become a lot more fun to watch. Obviously, Jaden Delora has a lot to do with that. Can he cut down on turnovers? I think will be a big, big piece. You know, some people, I just saw an article on CBS that mentioned, you know, who else can be TCU? And then they name off, you know, Texas A&M, and they name off Miami, and they name off some of these other schools. And you're kind of thinking those are sort of easy kind of things because TCU kind of came out of nowhere. We liked Max Duggan, uh, and we maybe liked one or two other things over there, but they really did, you know, come out of a cannon from nowhere. Arizona feels like if if you're going to really try to get down in the dirt and find somebody that's going to be Utah from last year that doesn't have a big – uh, you know, big slice of upside sitting right next to them, like Texas A&M and some other teams have, Arizona might be your pick. I'm not saying they're going to go play for the national championship, but if you wanted a team that's going to go from five wins to ten wins, double-digit wins, Arizona might be the team that you have to go to. The only difficulty is is the fact that they play, they're going to be playing in a super tough conference, so it probably won't happen. But just sort of the makeup, if Jalen Delora can cut down on his turnovers and this team, um, you know, gets some uh, some ex- if the experience for last year's freshmen who played on defense, if that experience for those guys pays off, you know, this this could be a, a fairly balanced team themselves there uh, there in, in, in Tucson. So just let everyone know what Spencer just said. Arizona is going to be the new TCU. They're going to win their conference and they're going to win. They're going to go to the playoff. Yeah, that's exactly that's what, what that's exactly what Spencer just said. Verbatim um, out of ver- my mouth. You heard him. You heard him. Um, no, Spencer, I, com- I completely agree with you. Um, I think I think this team can be really good. They add Justin Flo, former five star out of Oregon, um, and they add Colorado wide receiver. Healthy. Huh? Better stay healthy. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I couldn't. Yeah. No, no right. Problem. Go ahead. That's that's why I said it. That's why yeah, I said it. Because yeah. he was uh, he had injury problems last year. Yes. He he almost went to Georgia, went to Oregon, and just could not stay on the field. Um, Jane Delora, I think, is key here for them. Um, they finally have stability. I think that's how they get over five wins. Spencer is having stability at quarterback, which they have not had in a long time. Um, I think you're right that they man they're kind of in a position. They're kind of in a position with their schedule where they catch some breaks. Like they they could go two and one in their in their non-con. They could beat Northern Arizona Northern Arizona and beat UTEP. And then and then they go to Mississippi State. They're probably gonna lose at Mississippi State. But Spencer, you like if you look at this a little bit, like what if they upset somebody? What if I mean because I would probably pick them against Arizona. I'd probably pick them against Colorado. I'm going to pick them against Wazoo. And then the Arizona State is kind of, you know, is kind of a coin flip. But you tell me that they have no chance in upsetting Mississippi State or UCLA or Oregon State? I can't say that. 
there's there's a possibility that because again because of stability at quarterback and be able to continue to move get better under Jed Fish Spencer I think there's I th- I agree I think there's a chance that they could they could do this but what if more? what if they only lose one game from October 28th to November 25th lose it to Utah and then beat the rest of those teams what if so that would be they end up with Four wins plus their—I mean, that's six wins. If they, if they go two and one in their non-con, that's six wins. That's that's the over. But Spencer, here here's what's gonna here's what's gonna hurt them. What's gonna hurt them is their is is I guess would say probably lack of depth on defense. They only return three starters from that defense, and they add Justin Flo, who we already who we already cryptically talked about his injury issues. I just I I don't know I don't know if they have it in them to. Oh, and they added Bill Norton, Bill Norton from from Georgia to their defensive line as well. I forgot about that, but my, my concern is their defensive depth. So, yeah. So here's um, uh, but much so. The first year for Arizona was a big overhaul offensively. They started their defensive overhaul during the year last year. First six FBS games, up and in terms of a per play percentiles, they were 68th out of 69 in their first six FBS games. Their final five FBS games, they improved uh, by 18 spots to 40th out of 69, mm. and there was a huge rush and influx of, um. Young players. First-year defensive coordinator Johnny Nansen turned uh, turned to an all-out youth movement, and uh, seven true freshmen played 50-plus snaps. Four played 200-plus snaps. So of those three, or uh, of those returning starters, some of the guys that maybe aren't counted as starters were guys that were playing a good bit, you know, later throughout the season. Uh, and then they also brought in 20 new defenders through the offseason, including uh, Justin Flo that you already mentioned there from Oregon, as well as uh, uh, Bill Norton there from Georgia, as well as a, a linebacker or a lineman from UCLA. So um, they're they're building the depth on that side of the ball for sure. Now, now is it quality depth? You know, we'll find out. But um, yeah, they're they're certainly trying to build that depth. That uh, that that you're circling there. Okay. Where are we going next? Washington State. The Cougars. The Cougars of Washington State. Um. Give me a second. I've got to find my notes. I've got uh, four Pac-12. Uh, the four Pac-12 teams. They beat. Uh, finished with a combined record of eight and twenty-eight, and the five that they lost to last year had a combined record of thirty-five and ten, and all five won ten-plus games overall and uh, finished ranked. Ranked. So Washington State uh, had a lot of fun with the bottom half of their schedule and took it on the chin from the uh, from the top half of their uh, from their schedule. But I've got some fun things to talk about here for this offense. So you you go ahead and get us started if you want. I just want to say Cam Ward. Yeah. Cam Ward is Cam Ward is a guy that I hyped up last year coming from in uh oh my gosh, Incarnate. 
however you say the school he came from. Um, incarnate word, incarnate, incarnate word. Thank you. Incarnate word. Um, I was, I was high on him last year and I think he had moments of showing why, why it was a good thing that I, I was, I was so high on him, but then, I mean, he also had moments where he wasn't. And I think that was just, you know, par for the course of, of going from, was it FCS to FBS? That's correct. Right. Um, cause, cause he was like the Heisman winner for the FCS and then comes up to FBS. And I think, I think there were some growing pains there, but I do think that if they're going to get over their win total for this year, it, it does come down to Cam Ward taking another step forward and becoming an elite player, um, becoming a player that, that takes advantage of the simple plays that are right in front of him, as opposed to just trying to do everything himself. Like he's playing on a team that isn't very good. And I think that there were times like that last year where he tried to do those things and force issues that cost him. Um, but I, I but can't I'm I'm high on Cam Ward uh, overall. I think they return enough on offense to make them a little a, a little bit of a threat at times. Um, but for me, the thing that keeps them is is their talent on defense. I just I'm just not a big fan. So um, Spencer, you said you have something to you have some things to say about him. But go, so go ahead. Yeah, so this is going to be fun. So you mentioned the uh, the FCS transfer nature for Cam Ward. He's already got a year of FBS underneath his belt. New offensive coordinator for Washington State is 26-year-old Ben Auerbuckle, who led Western Kentucky to one of the top national leaderboards, placing first in passing yards, 49-29, and passing touchdowns, 43 uh, and when asked to summarize his offensive scheme in a sentence, he described it as air raid pass principles with a pro-style run game and ability to push tempo. Our buck, uh, our buckle, I'm sorry, is going to involve the tight ends a little bit more um, and is going to be working out of 12 and 11 personnel, so one back and two tight ends. Uh, but perhaps the biggest change in scheme from last year to this year is going to be the focus on vertical passing. Too often in 2022, Washington relied on horizontal screen passes uh, to receivers in the flats, and they didn't necessarily have a chance to go downfield. And last year at Western Kentucky, they led a stat category. Uh, the offense led the nation last year in 20-plus yard passes completed. Western Kentucky hit 81 of those. The last most important piece of this whole thing is Cam Ward coming from FCS and our buckle, our buckle, I'm sorry, working last year with a D2 transfer at quarterback at Western Kentucky, Austin Reed coming from West Florida up to Western Kentucky and goes off and, and hits those 81 passes of 20 plus yards, has the 47,000 yard or 4,700 yards passing and the 40 plus touchdowns. So if our buckle can work with a D2 quarterback at the FBS level. There's no reason why he can't work with an FCS quarterback who's got a full year under his belt at uh, the FBS level as well. I think Cam Ward and Arbuckle could be a really fantastic pairing there at uh, at Washington State, and they have a couple of receivers. D.T. Sheffield uh, is a receiver that uh, is coming into this new scheme that could really take some advantage of those vertical passing opportunities. So I like uh, the pairing of Arbuckle and uh, Cam Ward together on this offense. No, that's great, Spencer. I, I think th th that was that was really insightful. I did I did not know that, and 
uh, it kind of got me excited to watch them now. <laughs> Even I though felt, I, was, I felt the excitement through the headphones. Yeah, I, I mean, felt I, you gearing up. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm really looking forward to to watching Kane Ward again because I really do think, like, there was a reason why he was hyped coming in here, you know, this year or last year, and and I think I think he can just only escalate, you know, if he's able to take a step forward this year. Um, so, all right, Spencer, where are we going next? Um, California, California. Uh, speaking of offensive coordinators, there's another new offensive coordinator here at California that I'm pretty excited about. Um, Justin Wilcox is the is the quarterback coming or is the head coach coming back. But of course, uh, California has been that team that has been really good defensively, but they've been, you know, a cloud of dust and, and three yards uh, offensively. It's not been good. I think they lost like seven games last year of a one score. So it's uh it, it's really rough offensively for them, but they have brought in Jake Spavital, uh, and he is going to be charged with bringing life back into this offense. The la- he's been at California before, and he was with uh, what's the guy's name at TCU? Sony Sony Cum- Cumby. Is that yes. right? Yeah, that sounds right. Yep, yep. Yeah. So, uh, Jake Spavital is going to be. The new offensive coordinator, he was there in 2016 when they scored something like uh, 30-plus points a game. Yeah, I think it was 37 points per game in 2016. If he can come back with this defense that California has and the the veteran nature of that side of the ball, nine returners on on defense for the upcoming year, if this offense can start to pick it up, they scored 24 points a game last year. If they can jump up to 30 points per game, and this veteran defense locks down and, and puts themselves into place, uh, it could be California that takes the place of, of Arizona that we sort of talked about a little bit earlier. Um, again, they're going to have some a tough schedule at Washington, at Utah, at Oregon, at UCLA, USC, Auburn, and Oregon State all at home. But all of those road games, all I mean, the schedule works against them again. But uh, five wins is the over and under. If this offense gets going and the defense plays like it could, they could they could surprise an, an Auburn, maybe. They could surprise an Oregon State, maybe. UCLA on the road, maybe. Um, I'm excited for uh, California just as much as I am uh, Washington and this this new uh, this new coordinator. Trouble is, they don't have a Cam Ward at uh, at um, I, at California. Actually, Spencer, I would push back on that. I do they. I, I think so, man. I, I think a, a lot of people don't realize this because he sat under Max Duggan and Chandler Morris most of last fall, but TCU transfer Sam Jackson is is actually pretty athletic. He's elusive. He's mobile. He's got a strong arm. He he was recruited to TCU from um, for a reason, and and it's actually expected that he may come in and be the court like the starter this year. And so if you get that kind if you get a playmaker at quarterback, which is what you were alluding to, they have not had, and you've got nine returners on defense with Justin Wilcox, who's just so brilliant off our defense, excuse me, defensively, Spencer, there's a really good chance that Cal could do what we what we we're talking about with Arizona. I I actually would say I I would pick them to to go over. On on their win total, their win total at five. I I think they can, man. I really do. 
uh, not not to interrupt uh, Sonny Dykes, not uh, Sonny Cumbie from uh, a few minutes ago. Sonny Dykes is the head coach formerly at Cal and now at TCU. My mistake on that a few minutes ago. But yeah, no, Sam, Sam Jackson. The only thing is that Sam Jackson just doesn't have the experience on the field that yep. Cam Ward has. Uh, but if his middle name starts with an L, then, you know, who knows? Samuel L. Jackson may be able to come through here and with, you know, channel some powers of such a special name. Um, you're, you're ridiculous. <laughs> that's my attempt at humor. That didn't go anywhere. Uh, but no, I, I really like how, like, not, not to win anything big, but I, I think they can go over, especially if Sam Jackson is is who TCU expected him to be. You know, I don't think TCU, you know, obviously uh, Sonny Dykes wasn't the one who recruited Sam Jackson, but I'm pretty sure Sam Jackson didn't come into TCU expecting to sit behind a transfer of Max Duggan and sit behind Chandler Morris. So, um, I, man, and, and Cal's defense is going to be is going to be legit. Um, they always are. Um, all right, Spencer, who's the next team, bud? Uh, Arizona State over and under five wins. The Sun Devils. All right, Spencer. For me, to to look at their positive of how they're going to be able to hit five wins, it it's a mixture of two things. It's their um, words. It's it's a mixture of two things. It's the transfers that they had come in. And them hitting, um, and what I mean by that is Jordan Tyson, Xavier Guillory, uh, and uh, Cameron Scadabo. If those three guys can hit and be, and be productive the way that they expect them to be, and Drew Pine can be pr- productive as well. I mean, and you got to remember also, and I, I mean, I just for, I just realized this, and I I did I remembered it as I was um, preparing, but I just remembered it live again. Dude, they got Jaden Rashada, uh, upcoming true freshman kid who uh, had the, the incident with Florida. So like they've they've got some talent they got coming in as far as like from transfers and freshmen. And, and and the second part is their schedule. They can get three wins with Southern Utah, Fresno State, and Colorado. You just gotta find you gotta find three other wins somewhere. You gotta find three other wins. The Colorado. I mean, there's Colorado, there's California, there's Washington State, there's yep. Arizona. I mean, these I think will be toss up games. We've we've just really gushed about uh, California, Washington State, and Arizona. But you know, that's we're. I was gushing from a sense of if everything hits. Yes, agreed. Obviously, agreed. not everything's going to hit. So Arizona State, you know, if they can get more things to hit on any given Saturday afternoon, then you know maybe they take one from Washington or Arizona. Uh, or California, or all three of them. So, yeah, yeah I think. Uh, I mean, it's very interesting. The second half of this conference, Arizona, Washington State, California, especially, and then you add in Arizona State and and the wild card that's Colorado. Uh, the second p- part of this conference is uh, could be a lot of fun. Like you mentioned, the most competitive conference uh, in America, maybe. And and also keep in mind, Kenny Dillingham, their coach, is the same guy who turned Bo Nix into a Heisman candidate. I I have never been a fan of Drew Pine ever since he was at, or, you know, the, the, the time that he was at Notre Dame was not a fan. But, I mean, 
Kenny Dillingham's already made me has already changed my mind on, on one big player that I had very strong feelings about. There's no telling what he could do with Drew Pine, but especially having Jaden Rashada as someone who he recruited heavily. And you're right. You know, if I were to look at like the almost guaranteed wins would be Southern Utah, Fresno State, and Colorado, then you've got these other three. You're just looking for three more wins. But Spencer, here here's the thing that is going to keep like would keep them from hitting that five win total. It it really is just kind of like lack of talent and depth on defense. That that to me is is what could keep them from being able to do that. You, you're only returning five from your defense. You're not returning any of your top five tacklers from last season. I, I just think I just think it's a tall order to ask that. And I'm not saying it can't because we're like we've already talked about these things could hit and hit well. But I just think their defense is going to be one of those kind of things that hold them back. Yeah, no, they were not good against the the they were not good against the rush last year. One of the worst in America uh, allowed 305 yards in the loss that got Herm Edwards fired uh, to Eastern Michigan, and then collapsed again by allowing a thousand plus rushing yards in the four November games from last year as well. So. Not very good against the run. Got to improve there. A 4-2-5 base defense uh, that's in a lot of those defenses for a lot of different conferences uh, or a lot of different teams, I'm sorry, throughout college football are working on disrupting offenses and stealing the ball. So can Arizona State force a couple of turnovers? Can they stop the ball a little bit better to get maybe the ball put in the air to force turnovers? Um those will be two big things that the defense has got to try to do this upcoming season uh, with the transfers, excuse me, with the transfers that they brought in and, um, um, and and the pieces that they are returning on that side of the ball. Don't don't forget Arizona State is coming off of, obviously, Herm Edwards and a lot of other internal mess that Killy Dan, Killy, um, D- Dillingham is going to have to sort of clean up a little bit. So this year, while we're gushing a little bit, I think there's probably a lot of internal things that maybe many of these players are still having to deal with from the previous staff. So that could create some, um, you know, some difficulties getting back on track. All right, Spencer, let's talk about probably the most enigmatic team in the conference, maybe in the country. And that's the Colorado Buffaloes. I was about to say Huskies. How close? I was about to say, how close were you to saying Rockies there? I was about to say Huskies for some reason. Um, Spencer, I I don't know about you, but this was the hardest team to kind of talk about because I don't know what the heck they are. They they've had they have set they, they're bringing in seventy plus new players and they still have holes on the roster. They may not even be able to. They they truly may not even be able to field eighty five scholarship players this year. Yes, they're yeah, because. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, well I was just going to say they because they probably lost a few more players than they intended to drive out. Their weeding okay. out process probably lost them a few more players that they didn't anticipate losing or that they would have kept because they're talented enough. But ultimately, Deion Sanders said. Well, if you're if you want to leave, you better go ahead and leave because I don't need people here basically who who aren't going to have the the kind of fortitude to stick with what we're trying to do. So toodles. Bye bye. He waved them goodbye. I think, you know, he waved to him goodbye. But 
yeah, I think they probably lost a few players that they thought they might want to try to keep and, con- and who could contribute to the team. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know what Shadir Sanders is. Like, I mean, I know he's a human. And I know he plays quarterback, but I he don't know. He's the son of Deion Sanders as well. Yeah, I, I don't know how good he is. I I just don't. I I know that Travis Hunter is supposed is supposedly a dude. He's blue chip. He's a five star. You know, he chose going to Jackson State instead of going to Georgia or FSU. Like he's obviously a guy. He he is going to play both sides of the ball probably at Colorado. But man, Spencer, just on what logic tells us of how we know college football to be. I'm not talking about the the. The, the mystery. I'm not talking about the mystique. I'm not talking about the magic. I'm not talking about the, the crazy upsets and any giving Saturday kind of thing. I'm talking about what we know about football and how we know teams are built with 70 new players coming in, barely having 85-man roster, a new coach who has had a lot of offseason stuff. I'm not talking about bad. I'm just talking about health-wise, you know, but possibly having to have his foot removed and having blood clots in his legs. There's no telling what he's, what he's had to miss. Plus, you add on that they have they have only one, only one non-Power 5 game this year. Spencer, outside of Colorado State, find me the win. Find me the guaranteed win. You know, yeah, I don't think there would be guaranteed wins, but I would also – no, I don't think there's guaranteed wins. Go ahead. I, so for, for me, the, thing, the, the way they're able to hit over three-and-a-half wins is they're able to – this sounds so stupid the way the other analysis I've said has gone, but they're able to trick people <laughs> and beat them. <laughs> like, I, I really don't know any other way to put it. You're able to trick people and, and, and out and play, play better or be out and out coach them or out scheme them. You're able to trick other teams. That is the only way that I see them hitting over three and a half wins and the way that they don't is what we've talked about and hit on is that they don't have the talent yet. They don't have the depth yet. And they're and 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 to be quite honest, just like we saw with Cam Ward going for SES to FBS, there's a really good chance that Shadir Sanders is going to have he's he's gonna have a step down a little bit at times because of this transition. Same for Travis Hunter. Yeah, I've got a, I've got it written down that Sanders's transition from FCS to FBS is going to be uh, super important for uh, for the Buffaloes this year for sure. So you mentioned Sanders missing some time throughout this offseason because of the blood clots and the and the other things, the 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 surgeries and such, and obviously best of wishes to all of those things and, and recovery from that stuff as well. Um, one of the most maybe under the radar additions that Sanders made coming from Colorado or coming from uh, Jackson state to Colorado is he picked up a head coach as his offensive coordinator. Kent state head coach, Sean Lewis is going to bring his high tempo flash fast offense to Colorado. Fastest offense in the country. Yeah. Lewis played for Wisconsin and learned about program building from Barry Alvarez game planning from Paul Christ and still has retained emphasis on power run. And um, he's also going to be uh, combining all of that with spread passing uh, concepts as an offshoot 
of the old Baylor offenses, and Lewis has spent most of his coaching career alongside Dino Babers. They will hit passes all over the field, but the rushing attack finished third in FBS last year at Kent State, only behind Army and Air Force, who run the option and led the entire nation in scoring in 2020 with 49.8 points per game. Cavassier Smoke comes over from Kentucky as a physical that, running back in four years of such, SEC experience. Such a great name. Cavassier <laughs> Smoke? Yeah, it's just such a great Absolutely. name. Absolutely. Pass the Cavassier, please. Uh, four years of SEC experience. That could go a long way. They've also got a guy that's a projected starter from uh, Houston, Alton uh, McCaskey, McCaskill. And so he's going to come over. That could be your one-two approach there. And Sanders at the quarterback position, his transition could come uh, with a lot of help just handing the ball off to these two guys and letting them, you know, working off of what they do. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how all that plays out. They've got USC transfer Jimmy Horn, who should be able to take things vertically. Um, uh, you mentioned Hunter. He's supposed to be playing on both sides of the ball as well. So if he's playing offense, uh, you know, the the opportunity there for them to surprise somebody is there. I think is, it, yeah, it's there. It, it, but it do you agree? CU or Nebraska early on. Do you agree with me, though, that it just feels like that's the only way they're going to beat someone is is tricking them tempo 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 yeah like out scheming out like it's not going to be out physical it's not going to be out playing it's not going to be out talenting it's going to be through scheme and catching teams sleeping catching them off guard um and yeah i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off well i think the first wave of some of the players that they've brought in vontae bentley uh dumami kennedy and then uh, Braden Gant are all guys from Clemson, Alabama, and Florida State on the defensive side at the linebacker room. If they can stay healthy, Jordan Dominic's a guy from uh, from Arkansas uh, that they've brought in. And then Savelle Smalls from Washington that they've brought in. Uh, Derek McClendon, Florida State, was a 247 sports uh, uh, big-time transfer prospect and started all year for FSU last year. So they've got some pieces, but... The depth of those pieces, I don't know. And that could be the – so that's why I think, if anything, TCU, Nebraska, Colorado State, that might be where the, the best chance for a win than maybe getting something against Arizona State, maybe Stanford, because we're about to talk about uh, the Cardinal here in just a second who's going to be eerily similar to the conversation that we're having right now. Um, so gonna, maybe getting the win, over Stanford, the, uh, the win over Stanford. The win over Stanford, surprising Arizona State, I still think surprising a, a UCLA or an Oregon State is possible. So yeah, I think there's, cool. I think there's three and a half wins here. They're just going to have to surprise some people, and it, like you said, tricking them or or I hate to say the word tricking them. Yeah, but, I know. I, I know, don't doing I don't it with some fancy either. stuff. But Spencer, I'm going to tell you right now, I I don't want to sound like I don't want to sound like an idiot or end up sound like an idiot, but I I, I trust I trust Nebraska. To actually be a good team this year, I don't think they're going to upset Nebraska. I think I think Nebraska is going to beat them. I trust I trust Matt Rule way more in his situation than I trust Deion Sanders in his. That is not I don't I have nothing negative to say about Deion Sanders because I don't know what he is as a Power Five head coach. 
I know what Matt Rule is as a head coach in college football, and I know that he brought in talent at Nebraska. So that that that's where I I just get, and man, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and he's gonna go on the road in in week one and upset TCU at home or at TCU. Like that's what I'm saying. Like that's why I have to use the word trick <laughs> because I just don't I just don't know how they're gonna do it. I just don't know. Um, Spencer, let's let's talk about the team that I dislike talking about. Yeah, I don't know what it is you have. I don't know why you have. Go ahead and do your th- your villain thing with Stan- Stanford. I don't understand why you hate the the Cardinal. They're an education powerhouse, and I just don't understand why you just have such a disdain for for uh, for Stanford. Because I think the people but go ahead go ahead and hate them. Go ahead and hate them. Because I think the admin and the people who run that school have put this football program in a position where there was no way they were going to prosper. They put David Shaw in a horrible position to where he wasn't going to be able to get in actual quality talent and athlete and athletes in to be competitive in a conference and in a system of college football that demands you have talent and skill. And they refuse to lower academic standards to help him and let him be better. And I, I'm frustrated at what Sanford has become and what they should be. They are a staple of West Coast college football for, what, 50 years or more. And look what they've become. Their over-under is three wins. Tell me, t- tell me 10 years ago, Spencer, it, what would you have said 10 years ago if I told you their over-under going into a season was three? I, I am just so frustrated at what Sanford has become. Because they they were such a they were a program that I enjoyed watching as a child, and and them having the rivalry rivalry against Notre Dame like was also helpful within my house. But you look at what they have returned; they only have three starters on offense and three starters on defense, and they only had like and, and part of this is on Shaw too. Shaw only brought in one player in the transfer portal. But agree again. I think that is more of a school thing than it is anything else. Because even that one player who came in under Shaw was a grad transfer. But you know, Troy Taylor comes in as a first-year head coach, and he has already brought in um, he's already brought in a, a, a quarterback to come in, hopefully to be a starter. Even though uh, Ari Patu is expected to be their starter, I, I just I don't know like their schedule. Is is the reason why they would be able to? Because I think they have, I think they have three three winnable games on their schedule, um, you know. And then to go over three, you just you just gotta get someone sleeping. Um, Hawaii, Sacramento State, and, and Colorado are three you know three wins that they could they could get. And then you just gotta maybe find Cal sleeping or UCLA sleeping or Oregon sleeping, which they've done before in the past. But Spencer, for me, what what's gonna keep them under three? Is exactly what I'm talking about. Like I, I don't know where the talent's coming from, for them. I think they're in a very bad spot with with their roster. Um, can it get better? Absolutely. But I just I, this year could be really rough for Troy Taylor. Uh, Troy Taylor does have some FCS uh, head coaching experience at Sacramento mm-hmm. State. He went 30 and eight from 2019 to 2022. They play, and a lot of what. Yeah, a lot of what you're talking about has uh, has me thinking that they eerily, uh, you know, can compare to Colorado in a lot of ways. There's, but it's it's a comparison or it's a similarity or whatever. 
however you want to call it, like Colorado revamped their entire offense with a bunch of transfers and revamped the whole thing. Colorado is got to revamp their roster, but they're doing it with no transfers, not one because of the academic standards uh, that have been in place forever and ever that we're probably never going to be changing. Um, and so they have to, they have the FCS head coach. They've got to try to figure things out with, you know, sort of a, a brand new roster of sorts, guys that have transferred or, um, some guys that have transferred out and then some guys that have just, you know, graduated. So they feel like they're eerily in a similar place to, to Colorado. They've just not taken the same approach by any stretch, uh, that Colorado has taken, uh, on their side. But, um, yeah, I've, I've, I thought that the FCS head coach was 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 interesting, and then the fact that both rosters are pretty depleted from last year to this year, and Stanford is going to stick with the old-fashioned, we're going to remake our team with uh, with high school players. We're not going to infuse with 10, 10 to 20-plus uh, transfers, but you know, hey, maybe if we do it well in the long run, we won't be losing players to the transfer portal or I'm sorry, we won't be losing players at the same clip because a lot of times those players that transfer in, they're seniors and they're only there for a year and they're gone. Maybe we can build up rosters and sort of, again, it will be old fashioned, but we'll build up rosters and we'll sort of do it in an old school fashion is uh, what Troy Taylor is going to, is what he's going to try to do there um, at Stanford. And then he's going to open it up. Uh, Jim Harbaugh and, and Shaw really did those jumbo packages, six linemen and a fullback. Uh, Taylor's going to be finding space, creating space. His offense is going to feature uh, spread formations, air raid, passing concept, pre-stat motions, uh, and and heck, maybe even running the quarterback a lot more than Stanford is ever used to seeing uh, their quarterbacks run. So um, at the FCS level, they were top 10. Uh, Taylor's offenses were top 10 in both passing and rushing. So they should be, uh, you know, they'll be working towards that. But you're absolutely right. Things are rough. There might not be much to this roster right now uh, in terms of what's going to fit, specifically in terms of what's going to fit what Taylor wants to do. So, uh, yes, the the year three wins, three and a half wins, maybe surprise somebody. But, yeah, it's going to be difficult to, I think they'll be lucky to get back to three wins uh, and they'll be lucky to get a fourth win if they can if they can find it somewhere. Yeah, I I think I made it abundantly clear of why I have such frustration with Stanford. And does that make sense? Well, I think well, it makes sense, but at the same time, the football team doesn't have anything to do with what the administration has anything to do with. You know what I mean? But the football like, team is made up of players that probably shouldn't be on Stanford. They should be on a. They should be on a, maybe a group of five team, not a power five team like Stanford. What I'm saying is you can't blame the football team for that. It's not David Shaw's fault or Troy Taylor's fault or Jim Harbaugh's fault that all of those things are happening. And then what was, what was the, what was Shaw doing when they were going, uh, what's the record that they had? They were 64 and 17 Uh from 2011 to 2016. What players were they getting then? I mean, who are those players? Chris, who oh. is Christian McCaffrey? Well, that, that I know, but like, but since, but during that time from 2016 on, there was a transition and a shift of recruiting and of uh, these camps that that were going on, and, and a lot of schools were lo- starting to lower qualifications to get in, 
and Stanford refused. And and Stanford has contained. Like I mean, I know, I know that I don't, don't want to constantly talk about another podcast, but Bud, Bud Elliott talks about this all the time about how Stanford has has dug themselves in this this horrible hole because they refuse to make adjustments and and lack some of their qualifications for transfers or for just recruits. I just don't understand why you have to take it out on the little bitty football team. They don't have anything. I mean, they're, they're, not, they're not in little, control they're of not those. They're not a little bitty football team. They're, they're, Wait a minute. Hold on. You were having two conversations here. You're, <laughs> you're frustrated with the administration, and I'm talking about the fact that the football coaches don't make the decisions that you're frustrated with. I mean, I know. I, I didn't say, oh, this horrible kid from Stanford sucks because, because he's a horrible human being. I just – I – I have I don't have very much positive to say about Stanford because they have regardless of the admin being the reason they don't give me a lot to be positive about right now. Now Troy Taylor, Troy Taylor could could honestly he already has brought in players from the transfer portal. Maybe David Shaw didn't want to bring in transfer guys. Maybe he was pulling a Dabo Sweeney. He just didn't he just didn't have the 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 talent. He didn't have the talent already on already on the team to give him the confidence to not go in the portal. And maybe Troy Taylor is able to turn this around, but I, I just Sanford has just been on such a steady decline since I guess I guess since 2016. It's probably a little later than that, but uh, it's a uh, 17 to 2022, 20, 31 and 37. Okay, well then yeah, it is it is after 16. I mean, yeah, the second half of the Shaw era has been uh, has has not been great. Yeah. And I and I don't I'm not disagreeing that the administration doesn't have a lot to do with it. I guess I'm just identifying the administration and the football team as being two separate entities and they're not working together. The administration, like you said earlier, isn't helping the football team at all. Yeah. But I'm not taking that out on the football team while I'm acknowledging that the football team is not supposed to be very good this upcoming year or won't doesn't look to be very good this year because of the restraints of the administration and and whatever other things that changed from 11 through 16 to 17 to now. I'm acknowledging that the football team hasn't been great, doesn't look to be turning that around anytime soon, maybe Troy Taylor, but I guess I'm just viewing the administration and the football team as two different entities that aren't working together right now. Yeah, that's fine. I, I, I think I, I think I'm looking at it as because of like this is this is like this because of because of this, and I'm I'm connecting the two. Um, they're but, not working together. Well, I mean, but they they should be. I, I guess that's I guess that's probably where my frustration over right, overall. Yeah, no, yeah, Georgia Georgia's administration is working very closely <laughs> yeah, with Kirby yeah. Smart the, these days. The state the state of Georgia is, is working yeah. very much with yeah. Kirby Smart. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. No. No. You're right. You're right. I, I mean, I, I will say like my frustrations prior to the season were were twofold. It was it was on the admin and it was on David Shaw. Now it's just on the admin because they've put Stanford in such a tough spot. And it's just hard. It's just hard to talk about this program with, you know, them only having three wins projected and and not knowing where not knowing where the talent's going to come from to beat that three win mark. But but who knows? I mean, again, like we were talking about with Colorado and we don't have to really use the word trick here, though. Like. May, maybe maybe they just need a change of scenery, maybe the Sanford team. Maybe it's like TCU, you know, where Patterson had just, you know, everything he was the same was falling on deaf ears. 
and they needed they needed Sonny Dykes to come in. Maybe Troy Taylor will be a new voice, and maybe there is talent in that room, and we just don't know it because, or you know, maybe we'll find that out because Troy Taylor is able to put put it together. You know, that's probably a more positive outlook for it. I do think Shaw probably Shaw probably didn't do himself any favors trying to switch from those jumbo sets yep. to throwing the football a little bit more. That maybe Stanford isn't quite the school to try to do that. He's not re- I don't know if Shaw was always recruiting the kind of players that could play in that system. Agreed. Troy yep. Taylor will have to He'll have to change his recruiting strategy and go and get the guys that can play in his his kind of system. And maybe mm-hmm. that's just where Shaw f- failed, is he just couldn't go and get the guys that needed to play that more spread out form mm-hmm. of football that they tried to uh, elevate themselves to. So Taylor knows what his kind of player looks like. He's going to gonna go try to get them, and maybe he can work with the administration to loosen some things here and there. Um or maybe just put the the spread talent in a better position. Maybe that was another thing that Shaw was doing, that, that opening things up just wasn't a strength of his anyway. So he was yeah. never going to get the right players because he was never really going to be comfortable opening things up. You know, two, two, yeah. two wrong steps there, I guess. No, you're right. You're right. I think, I, I think that's a valid point. We have talked a lot about a team who's going to go three and nine this upcoming season. We have, but I mean, I but I, I do think it speaks to the bigger detriment though of of these historical teams within the realm of college football. And and honestly, this is the sad part. And you and I have talked about this, and so has you know Josh Payton, the you know Tom Fernelli, like all this change and transition to different conferences, and all this allowing this like fluid movement around things is is what's going to ruin teams like Stanford and other historical blue bloods of college football. Um but that's another sad ominous podcast for another day. We've been we've been going almost 2 hours. Good lord. Yeah, we have. All right, let's get out of here. Um be sure to uh you got anything else? No, just I was going to say what you're about to say. Okay, be sure to like, rate, review, and uh, subscribe. We'll catch you on the flip-flop. Later. Later.